Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about election 2020 facts and fiction. Kamala, what would Kamala do? Trump versus Biden, healthcare and the COVID plan, and women and the Trump vote. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I'm about bursting with excitement today. I'm going to tell you folks that first of all, as you well know, tomorrow is Election Day. Election Day 2020, thank goodness, is finally here or almost here. In the first five today, I just really want to focus in on what we've been treated to this entire election cycle, which kind of began the day after President Trump won in 2016, and what the voters are seeing. What are the voters looking at now? Fact versus fiction. So we'll start with this. The entire Democrat campaign in 2020 was run on the theme, we hate Trump and you should too. That was pretty much the message of the Democrat Party. We hate Trump and you should too. And the American people sitting back watching what's actually happened in the four years under President Trump versus the spin of the Democrat media mob. And the Democrats have tried to convince America that the entire COVID problem in America was Trump's fault. That somehow if we'd only had a brilliant Democrat, had Hillary. In fact, Hillary said something about, you know, if I'd been there, um, you know, uh, women know how to handle these things. You know, women would have handled this crisis better. I, I would have handled it better. This is a serious commentary by she who would have been president. But here we are, day before Election Day. I'm going to make a prediction number one. Trump is going to win in a landslide. That's my first prediction. Trump will win by a landslide. I think he will certainly hold on to the Senate, likely take back the House. And the reason I say all those things is because nothing the Democrat Party has said in this entire election cycle gave any sane or intelligent person a reason to vote Democrat. Nothing they've said, nothing they've done. Given the American voters no reason to get out there and fight for Biden. In fact, when you ask people, Biden supporters, why they're supporting him, virtually all of them give a litany of what they can't stand about Trump. Some complain about Trump. So to start with, I have a few clips. I said, oh, Matt the Wonderful's back, so life is back to normal, even though his substitute wonderful uh, producer, Derek, was also great, but Matt is back. Uh, we're gonna, I wanna play just a, a series of clips, and I, I resisted this almost the entire election season. Up, you know, tomorrow's election day, I resisted doing this, but just so you see, who the Democrats are telling America, this guy should run the country. I want to play a few clips featuring Joe Biden, who would like to be president of the United States of America. So we have, we just have a bunch of them in a row. Uh, this, the first one is, uh, was uh, in a text put out by Eddie Zipperer. And this one you may have heard over the weekend, but this was a new word that Joe Biden made up. I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true international effort to pressure. <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry, but obviously, who knows what he's trying to say? And even he, Biden, as he continued, he didn't say, wow, I said that too fast. What I meant to say was, he's just blathering. 
So you have him making up a word. Thank goodness he's going to have an effective strategy to mobilize whatever the heck it was. Then we have Biden uh, uh, talking about um, his running mate, Kamala, and her spouse. Kamala's spouse, here's Biden. 270. But my wife, Jill, as you know, and Doug Emhoff, uh, Kamala's wife are there. Kamala will be back uh, later this week, I think okay. on Friday. Kamala's wife, yeah, okay. So, you know, he just... He gets confused, and I, I resisted for a variety of reasons doing these in the election cycle. I don't know. I'm just kind of effusive today. I think we are looking at a Trump landslide, and I'm going to talk about why. And we're talking about very, very serious issues today, very serious issues. But in the first five, I want to really lay out for you what the Democrats have tried to tell America is worth voting for. So next clip we have Joe Biden talking. Um, he's talking with Jill sitting by him, his wife Jill sitting by him, explaining who he's running against. This is the most consequential, not because I'm running, but because who I'm running against. This is the most consequential election uh, in, a, in a long, long, long time. And the character of the country, in my view, is literally on the ballot. What kind of country we're going to be? Four more years of George, uh, George, uh, he uh, going <laughs> to find ourselves in a position where if uh, Trump gets elected, uh, we're going to be uh, we're going to be in a different world. And, okay. uh, and so <laughs> seriously. Four more years of George W. or somebody. I don't know who I'm running against. Uh, here's another one. Can't remember what he is running for. Here's Joe Biden. You know, we have to come together. That's why I'm running. I'm running as a proud Democrat for the Senate. Or something. He's running for something. <laughs> Maybe the Senate. Uh, and I think this is the last one. Yeah, the last one. Uh, and this is uh, Joe Biden <laughs> discussing the race that he and Barack Obama were in when he, Biden, was vice president in 2012. If you may remember, I got in trouble when we were running against the senator who was a Mormon, uh, the governor, okay? And I took him on. Yeah, couldn't remember his name, Mitt Romney. Anyway, I put those up to say, I don't, I, I truly, I, I think it is cruel that Jill Biden and other Democrats around Joe Biden do not tell him, you can't handle the job, Joe. I'm sorry, you can't be doing this. But the Democrats have decided, Democrats have decided that leaving Joe in is okay because once he's out of there, they're going to have Kamala Harris. Joe cannot, is not mentally fit. Everyone understands that, including Jill Biden and everyone around them going to have Kamala Harris, and I'm going to talk about who she really is in the next segment. But I want to wrap up just the first five by making a couple of observations, other kind of major, um, major issues, major observations about where we are in 2020, the day before Election Day. Number one, the massive strategy of the Democrat Party in all of 2020 was to scare Americans to death about COVID, somehow blame President Trump for a virus that came from China, the Democrats are so politically correct, you can't call it the Chinese virus. You can't blame the Chinese, although the Chinese Communist Party itself is certainly at fault. But you can blame Trump, even though, as I've laid out many times on the show, it was Trump calling for stop people coming to America from China. He put the first restrictions in place at the time that Joe Biden is calling him a xenophobe and Kamala Harris was calling it racist. All the Democrat elites mocking him. You had Nancy Pelosi in the streets of Chinatown in San Francisco, and I think it was late February, walking arm in arm with Chinese citizens who regularly in that Chinatown area fly back and forth to China saying, China, and this is Nancy Pelosi trying to encourage people, come on out, there's no danger here, come on out, we're having a great time. And somehow it's all Trump's fault. But the entire strategy of the Democrat Party was 
to make America so afraid of COVID to blame Trump, which is falling apart, their effort to blame Trump, except among their most loyal and simple-minded followers, for a variety of reasons. Number one, America saw that President Trump actually contracted coronavirus, and he spent whatever it was, three or four days in the hospital, quickly recovered, came back, robust. He's doing, I think it's like 14 campaign stops in the final three days of the um, campaign, not stopping like land on the ground, wave to the masses, stopping, holding massive rallies, massive rallies in swing states all over the country, people clamoring to get in. And you have, by contrast, Joe Biden, even when Barack Obama shows up to be with him, cannot get 12 people to stand still in a cornfield. I mean, they just, no one cares what Joe Biden is saying. Joe Biden isn't the candidate. The candidate is, I'm not Trump. That's what the Democrats are running. But back to what is happening in this election cycle. The Democrats banked on Americans staying afraid of COVID. They're less and less afraid all the time. The more Americans become familiar and aware of all the treatments that doctors around the country are saying are working, are effective, and actually helping people curing them of COVID. Have hydroxychloroquine, you have inhaled budesonide, you have remdesivir, you have all the other drug names that are out there. And doctors around the country banding together saying, you know, this is working just fine. This is working great. People are getting better. We don't have to be frozen in our homes. We don't have to be shut down. We can, we can be normal in America. We certainly don't need masks. But you had the Democrats banking on COVID, and they took that banking on the cure, fear of COVID into the next phase of their, their plot against America in this 2020 election, which was to switch over to mail-in ballots and tell the American people, you know, I mean, it's so dangerous out there, you really shouldn't even go to the grocery store. Everyone should be afraid to even move. Everyone should be fearing. So you had this plot, this scheme, the Dems thought up of saying, we've got to do mail-in ballots, that's it. The danger of coronavirus means everybody has to do a mail-in ballot. So it did this massive push. Fortunately for America, many Americans are awake saying, wait a minute, you know, this is sounding like you're setting up cheating. This is sounding fraudulent here. We're not too sure we like this idea uh, that you're just going to mail out unsolicited millions of mail-in ballots. Well, Democrats counted on that scheme. And what has happened, because several in several states, astute people were saying, wait a minute, this doesn't sound legal. This doesn't sound right. So now there have been a total of 14 court cases, 14 court cases filed challenging the need for this massive and in many states unlawful issuance of mail-in ballots to people who didn't ask for them. Obviously just a massive ploy set up by the Democrats. And in those cases, of those 14 cases, the GOP has won 11 of them, stopping this ridiculous effort to cheat, this transparent effort to cheat, and stopping this change in the laws. Well, you know, given COVID, everything's changed. So mail-in ballots, they get to just like stream in whenever they finally stream in, and then we'll just count them. Doesn't matter how long it is after election day. Doesn't matter, it's okay. We'll just keep bringing them in, keep counting them. And courts saying, no, no, you can't just count forever. You can't just let ballots get rolling in. And of the other three cases that the Republicans have not yet won, they appear, most or all of them, headed to the Supreme Court which now has, hopefully, an actual law-abiding majority 
because we have Amy Coney Barrett sitting on the court. So you have the Democrat strategy for 2020, demonize Trump over coronavirus, not flying. The, the more informed you are, the more ridiculous you recognize the Democrat policies are. And then the effort to use the coronavirus scare to say to Americans, everything's a mail-in ballot now, you know, and, and, and the court saying, no, actually, you, you can't play that game with us. Um, I will tell you that the energy Trump shows also at these rallies is just simply extraordinary. I mean, I, I heard this secondhand, so I'm not, I don't know if this is um, an accurate quote, but Laura Ingram traveled with him on, on some step of one of his uh, phase of one of his campaign trips and commented afterwards, I cannot believe the energy of that man. I'm exhausted. And she'd gone just one segment or whatever she did. The guy is full of energy, full of passion, full of love for America. And I'll tell you a couple of things in wrapping up this first five. We are at the place where the, the total number of people who've already voted early is 94 million people. 94 million. That is more, that's over two thirds of the entire turnout in 2016. Two thirds, this is over two thirds of the 2016 turnout in the gray state of Texas, where I live. The early voting is over. So it ended last Friday, so tomorrow is election day. But in Texas, the number of people who early voted as of now already exceeds the entire vote turnout of 2016. Already exceeds that. So I'm getting at the point, it's really interesting. I think that there are many people who say, well, this is great, or people trying to argue this is great for Biden because everyone knows that Democrats use early voting, Republicans vote on election day. You know, there's going to be this massive effort uh, of the early voting. It's probably mostly for Biden. People, I don't think so. Again, back to my starting point today's first five. The Democrats have given Americans no reason to vote for them. They've given them no reason. There's no logic. There's no enticing message. There's no positive, we love America, we want to stand up for America. The entire messaging of this Democrat party, they counted on, we hate Trump and you should too. And more and more Americans realize, even if they, even if they didn't support him in the primary, even if they didn't support him in the, um, throughout his first year or two in office, they finally see President Trump has brought about a fabulous economy lifting up all Americans, a famous rising tide, lifting all boats, including, including obviously formerly jobless Americans, African-Americans, Asian-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, women. The economy was floating along until the uh, CCP virus, the Chinese Communist Party virus came along, not Trump's fault. And everyone's finally, is finally, I mean, I think Biden doesn't even realize when he's talking how lame he sounds to keep claiming that Trump is the fault of the virus. He just, he just sounds, well, he sounds out of it, kind of similar to the many other ways he sounds out of it. But to wrap up this first five, I am effusive today. I am fully aware of all of the polls. I am fully aware that even the Wall Street Journal predicts, you know, I don't think Trump can win this. Going to win it in a landslide, people. Now, I will say, and what we're going to focus on tomorrow in the show, is the Democrats have a lot of plans in mind if the election is not settled clearly on election night. Many radical leftist anti-American groups are already talking about the violence they will inflict on America's cities until they get rid of Trump. They believe, and this is a problem that Democrats have of their own making, they have, I don't even know what the right word is, impressed. They, they, have, they have convinced ignorant people 
that Biden is actually appealing and he's gonna be our guy and he's gonna win and the polls are right. And so people on the left, ignorant leftists, think that if Trump wins, it couldn't possibly be true. It must be due to cheating. The left is planning, at least talking about, major violence in the American cities. We'll talk more about those groups around who they are, but this is all given their assumption that it'll be unsettled on election night and that there'll be millions and millions of uncounted ballots just waiting to be you know, doctored up in some dark back room of the Democrat Party headquarters uh, in states around this country and quick sent in as mail-in ballots. I mean, this is, this is what you can picture the left doing. This is why there was such frustration, concern, outrage over this obvious transparent scheme of the Democrats to come up with mail-in ballots as a vital need this time because of COVID. So I'm wrapping up the first five, which I keep saying I'm going to do, but I'm, I am effusive. I, I just actually think we are, I think we're headed for a Trump landslide. And I think we're headed for um, a, a, and I don't say that just because Biden is a poor candidate. I say that because the malicious, nefarious, ugly, unjustified accusations and criticisms of President Trump that the Democrat media mob have been piling on for four years the American people have been watching. They actually have been watching what the Democrat media mob has tried to do to President Trump. They know Trump created a great economy. Can't refute that. They know Trump did incredibly important peace deals in the Middle East, uh, never done by all the predecessors who talk about Middle East peace. They watched Trump do what the Israelis wanted him to do and to move the American embassy in Israel to Jerusalem, the capital. They watched Trump renegotiate trade deals to make things fairer for America. They watched Trump bring back jobs because, we, uh, because he cured the problem of the unfair trade deals that caught, and, and other regulations that caused businesses to ship their, their manufacturing overseas someplace, brought those jobs back home. Americans can see Trump has done a great job. That's what they can see. And they're, and they're waiting to hear the message from the Democrats and all it is is we hate Trump and you should too. It's not flying anymore. Trump by a landslide, in my opinion. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. Okay, I'm going to do a quick segment on Kamala Harris. I will tell you that Kamala Harris, I said first on when all the you know crazies were up there on the stage, I actually thought Kamala Harris would win the Democrat Party nomination because I think she is the most, she's, uh, she's actually very pretty. She's very articulate, she's well-educated, she speaks well, and I really thought she would be kind of this standard bearer. She's a huge radical leftist, just a very, very uh, earnestly radical leftist. She was, you know, she wasn't gonna be the moderate, and the Democrats seem to be playing to their, uh, their socialist base. The Democrat has a, Democrats have a massive base of Democrat voters in this country who are socialists. They're young, millennial Marxists. And the Democrats have to play to that group to win any election. I thought she'd be the one, but she wasn't. But I also figured early on that that was who Joe Biden would pick. Well, Joe Biden, as his mental decline becomes more and more apparent to everyone, is really just a placeholder to get them over the finish line, they hope, tomorrow or whenever they finish counting all the ballots they mark up in the dark rooms after the election day is over. But I digress. Kamala Harris is going to emerge as there. She's going to step up and be president, unless they come up with some other scheme and put somebody different in. But Kamala Harris, I want to hit just three things about her. Kamala Harris manages. She has a very polished, professional, almost statesman-like appearance. 
I want to play first at Ma ask Matt the Wonderful to play a clip of her. This is she was interviewed on 60 Minutes. There are interviews done of, um, of Biden and Harris and of Trump and Pence. And there was a little segment. In fact, this isn't even the whole segment, a short segment uh, of the interview of Kamala Harris that I want to ask Matt the Wonderful to play the 60 minute interview and then we'll talk about it. You're very different in the policies that you've supported in the past. You're considered the most liberal United States senator. I, I somebody said that, and it actually was Mike Pence on the debate stage. But yeah, well, actually, the nonpartisan GovTrack has rated you as the most liberal senator. You supported the Green New Deal. You supported Medicare for all. You've supported legalizing marijuana. Joe Biden doesn't support those things. So are you going to bring the policies, those progressive policies that you supported as senator, into a Biden administration? What I will do, and I promise you this, and this is what Joe wants me to do, this was part of our deal. I will always share with him my lived experience as it relates to any issue that we confront. And I promised Joe that I will give him that perspective and always be honest with him. And is that a socialist or progressive perspective? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it is the perspective of, of a woman who grew up a, a, a black child in America, who was also a prosecutor, who also has a mother who arrived here at the age of 19 from India, who also, you know, likes hip hop. <laughs> like, what do you want to know? <laughs> well, I want to give you, I want to give you the opportunity to address this because at the Republican National Convention, yeah. President Trump made the case that Joe Biden is going to be nothing more than a Trojan horse for socialist policies, for the left wing of the Democratic Party. Are you going to push those policies when you're vice president of the United States? I am States? not going to be confined to Donald Trump's definition of who I or anybody else is. Okay, folks, let me tell you, when she can look in that camera and not answer the question, just refuse to answer the question. Just, and honestly, I, I mean, everybody has her own kind of laugh and you know maybe her family thinks her laugh is cute or something it's it's an aggressive mocking in my the way i hear her and an aggressive mocking laughter she's not laughing like she's actually amused she's laughing like she's mocking you like how stupid are you but she won't answer the question and i want you to understand she won't answer the question because the answers to all those questions you just heard is yes, she is a radical leftist. As the questioner pointed out, the nonpartisan gov track, and it wasn't like they just, you know, put their names in a hat and pulled one out. They looked at her votes. They looked at her record. She's the most liberal, meaning further left, further Marxist, further socialist than Bernie Sanders in the entire U.S. Senate. And she has some competition in there. She's the most leftist. Her dad, you know, you talk about learning things from your parents, if you think maybe that influences people. Her dad, Donald Harris, uh, was referred to as a Marxist scholar while working as a professor of economics at Stanford University. Dad's a Marxist. She is a radical Marxist. The things she stands for, the Green New Deal, we can't go over it all in detail today. But if you listen to my show very often, you know we've talked about many times, Green New Deal has almost nothing to do with the environment. It is not about clean air and clean water. It is not about fresh air. It is about imposing Marxist 
cultural Marxism and economic Marxism at the federal level in Washington on the American people using environmental concerns as a justification. The bill is filled with promises that are nothing other than socialist slash communist in nature. Everybody's guaranteed a job. Where in the Constitution the federal government has the right to say that, you know, unclear. In fact, it doesn't and should be ruled unconstitutional if it were to pass. But she didn't just say, okay, okay, I'd be fine with that if that's what you really want to do. She wasn't going along with the majority. She co-signed. She was a pusher of the idea of Green New Deal. Same with her other, with Medicare for All. She pushes and wants socialized medicine. One payer, she was the one set on early on her campaign. There's, she couldn't see a reason why you wouldn't eliminate private insurance company. Why would you have private insurance? Who needs that? Let the government take care of it. She is a radical Marxist. Two other points on that topic. Uh, she's been asked about reparations many times because you know, the reparations talk has kind of quieted down for a while during the about 2020 primaries, much earlier in the year, there was more talk about reparations and the Democrats did some polling and figured this is not flying with the American people. They do not want to hear about reparations being taxed, tax dollars going to decide which Americans should get some money from other Americans because of slavery, which ended in 1865 or because of segregation, which ended decades ago. So the Democrats figured out this reparation stuff is not flying with the American people to stop talking about it. But the simple fact is she supported that. And I'll tell you some interesting things about her. She's kind of gone all over the place. She, she has her, you know, she has things she says where she sounds like she's pretty solid about it. Other times she's like, well, I don't know. So to start with, she spoke one time um, at a function that Al Sharpton put on. It was his National Action Network conference. She speaks at that. He comes afterwards. He has a microphone. He says, so uh, when you, uh, if you become President Harris, will you sign the reparations bill? To which she said, when I'm elected president, because she corrected him. He said, if you're elected, she goes, when I'm elected president, I will sign that bill. So she commits in front of Al Sharpton's National Action Network. Yeah, she's going to sign reparations. Other times she says, well, I'm not sure I'd sign on, but I would, I would certainly fund and support the idea of a commission to examine reparations, the idea of reparations. So she changes her answer based on who she's talking to. But the concept of reparations is a flat-out socialist, Marxist, communist, forced wealth redistribution plan that if any government does it, that's what it is. There's a forced wealth redistribution plan. She's made other comments about and black Americans feel, her language at one point was, black Americans are consistently suffering from something very akin to post-traumatic distress syndrome, PTSD. And so people said, you know, what are, what are you really talking about there? That doesn't, that, why would you say that? And she said, because, because of the history of slavery and the history of segregation, most Americans say still feel like they're suffering from PTSD. Maybe that's true. I don't think so. I mean, I tell you, my conservative friends who are black and, and the conservative uh, black leaders in America who put together the Uncle Tom film, conservative outspoken black leaders never talk about, yeah, I, I walk around every day feeling PTSD. And I feel like I'm a victim. What she's saying is she's playing the victim card as far as she can, as long as she can, because she thinks that will get her votes. When she thought it would get her votes, when she was still a contender for the presidential nomination, before Biden won it, she's willing to tell the people at Sharpton's meeting, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I'm all for that. My point is, this is a forced wealth redistribution 
system she's expressed support for. Last thing on her, in case you wonder what would Kamala really do, the name of this segment, she actually talked just a couple of days ago. She had a press conference giving examples of essentially how you make things fairer in this country. And she was trying to make a distinction between equality and equity. And you might think, oh, that's good, you know, because she's going to get down, you know, equal opportunity. You know, maybe she's going on that path, but she wasn't. Her closing statement was equitable treatment. Equitable treatment means we all end up at the same place. My friends, do not delude yourself. Kamala Harris is a radical leftist Marxist, just like her dad. It's why she was labeled after reviewing all of her votes, the most liberal left wing member of the United States Senate. And she looks in the camera and tries to do that, that mocking laughter at someone asking a serious question and won't even answer the question. So what I mean when I say she won't even answer the question is she has answered the question. She's told you, I will do all of those things. I will push it through if I can when I'm president. Next topic I want to hit today was the day before the election. And, you know, I was realizing I had met all along this election season to get someone to come on the show with me to talk about health care policy. Because one of the many things, besides Joe Biden's and Kamala Harris' relentless statements about Trump, he has no plan on COVID. You know, he has no plan. They say it about health care. <clears throat> Leftists say this about President Trump about health care. Let me translate for you into plain English what they mean. When leftists talk about having a health care plan, they talk about by, that what they mean is by hook or crook, one way or another, they're going to get federal government control over the health care system. That's what they mean. Having Obamacare pass when it did in 2010, it passed because that's as far as the Democrats dared to go. They got us way down the path of socialized medicine, but not all the way there. They were a little bit afraid of just completely taking over. And still, actually, that the passage of Obamacare compounded with the uh, Democrats' decision under President Obama to bail out the uh, car companies and, and, and interfere as they did in the housing market, all those things that they did. Many Americans realized, wow, Obama really is a Marxist. He really is a socialist slash communist. Let's, let's, let's take power away from him. That's why, they, why the uh, Democrats lost control of the House in 2010. But back to where we are now. That's all Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are saying when they say Trump has no plan. What they mean is he won't grab control of the entire health care system like we intend to do. Now, I understand Biden will put out a plan that says, well, no, we're not really taking control. We're just going to do a little tweak, 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 tweak. But all along, all the way, they're going to get themselves to where the left wants in this country, which is government-controlled health care. By contrast, and actually to straighten out the record about President Trump, I learned something really, really interesting recently, and I want to share it with you. I can't get way in the weeds in this health care issue today, but I want to share a few things with you that I learned. Uh, one, um, and, and basically the point is, President Trump has had in his possession since, uh, since 2018 a document prepared by uh, the Goodman Institute, which is, you know, it, it's a, um, John Goodman is, is a policy guy in, in Dallas. He is the one actually, it was his creation, the health savings accounts, one of the best creations ever for giving individual Americans control over their health care dollars. Uh, health savings accounts. He was the, you know, the intellectual father of that, created that. 
but he and others working with him came up with a, a, a package called Reforming America's Healthcare System Through Choice and Competition. It's a 124-page Health and Human Services document. This Goodman Institute, along with input from the Heritage Foundation, has been in the White House since 2018. So when President Trump, and we finish this, and many of the pieces along the way have already been implemented. They're not these simple-minded, left-wing, Democrat, hey, don't worry, everything will be free. We're taking over health care, and everything's going to be free, and everyone's going to have insurance, and no one's ever going to have anything not covered by insurance. And, and, every, and you know, magically, medicines will cost less, and health care will cost less, and no one will pay anything, and it'll be better still, and it's not going to cost you a penny. I mean, the, the lies the left spin, left spin, about the ideas they have and how they're going to somehow make healthcare free never turn out to be true. But they're easy campaign lines to say. They're easy lines to say, well, don't worry, we'll take care of you. You know, we're, we're the nanny state, we'll take care of you. This is what the Democrats did in passing Obamacare. What's happened under President Trump is he's had this proposal along with proposals by another organization that is a conservative organization filled with doctors who support this. It's called Physicians for Reform. Physicians for Reform. I'm going to get one of the doctors related to that to come on the show as we move forward, no matter how this election comes out. But the point is, the Trump administration, contrary to the picture that Biden and Harris try to paint, the Trump administration has had serious, substantive policy input on the subject of health care, and they've made many, 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 many changes many, many improvements. They're not things that can splash out in a headline and sound like they have saved the world as the Democrats try to do, but they're actually meaningful and significant and specific and addressing a specific problem in the healthcare world and solving it of all things. So I will tell you, they worked on things such as Virtual medicine, the ability to deliver medical care remotely. Uh, they got the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMF, CM, excuse me, CMS, um, to essentially get them to where they could have doctors and patients being able to communicate over email and connecting personally. This was something up until, uh, in fact, at the start of 2020, it was still illegal by an act of Congress for Medicare doctors to consult with their patients by phone or email, except in rare circumstances. This is one of the suggestions of actual doctors on the ground, actual serious healthcare policy experts looking at a situation and saying, this is crazy. There are many things people encounter that we could actually listen to the story over the phone, over email, and help the person get the care they need. Trump came along, made necessary changes, so then you have the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services uh, sort through and determine um, which of the various treat, uh, issues could be handled this way. Point is, Trump administration pushed on something that had been long in the Medicare law that prohibited this kind of interaction between doctors and Medicare recipients. And so, according to CMS, between mid-March, and this all, they kind of got kicked in high gear because of COVID. According to CMS, between mid-March and mid-June of this year, more than 9 million Medicare beneficiaries alone received a telehealth service. That's real help. That's not writing a bill and pretending everything can become free like the Democrats tell you. Real help for real people who actually needed it. And it said, including more than one in five beneficiaries 
who live in rural areas and almost one in three beneficiaries who live in cities. So that was one thing, and they have all sorts of other things, more steps they could take. They have changes in, uh, th these are just things, I mean, I could, there's a whole litany of them here, and I actually, because I don't want to run out of time to make my last point for today, if you go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, under shows, drop down, list of links, you can read this document. I think we called it Goodman Institute, what Trump has done to change healthcare and how it's helped battle COVID-19. The point I'm telling you is the lie when you hear Joe Biden or Kamala Harris, when you hear them or see them stare you in the face in the camera and say, Trump doesn't have a plan. We have a plan. We're fixing everything. They are lying to you. Enormous steps of actual progress, significantly helping people have been made under this president because he's actually taking substantive input from grown-ups, not political slogan slingers like Biden and Harris, but actual doctors, actual experts, actual policy people giving him ideas and his administration processing those ideas and coming up with a whole long host, a list of great changes made to our healthcare system because of someone who will actually listen to what the doctors and experts are saying. I can't urge you strongly enough to read this. To understand this okay and so on trump and health one more thing about this you know i'm going to hit this covid point again in a moment but i want to hit it one more time in this segment the other thing that you hear biden and harris relentlessly saying is trump has no plan for covid you know it was his fault i mean obviously concocted in a wuhan virus the wuhan virus concocted in some lab over there or whatever the source of it was we're still making sure we know the answer to that. But they're saying because that happened, all the COVID deaths in America are at the feet of Trump, despite the fact that there's all sorts of dishonesty in the way data are presented, despite the fact that Trump is the one that said, we need to stop travel from China. Now we got to add Great Britain. He was the one that did that and was getting called racist, xenophobic, and, and other you know, insulting terms by the leftists, including the very leftists, telling Biden and Harris what to say about this. And, and these people were the ones fighting Trump while he was trying to protect America. But moving, moving forward from that, even where we are now, you have heard the, uh, you've heard Biden in his various iterations. First he says, I'm not gonna mandate masks. Yeah, I'm gonna mandate masks. You can find him saying either. He did say he's going to mandate masks. He did say it. And he says it over and over, as has Kamala Harris said, she's fine with mandating masks. And I want to just tell you a little bit of data on that subject. Again, on our website, I urge you to go there, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links, great piece that contains 12 different graphs, actual data from countries around the world, including America, showing that mask mandates do nothing to stop COVID. And so you have to ask yourself because somebody on Biden's team apparently reads on Kamala Harris's team reads, somebody knows these facts that they actually have data. Mask mandates do not stop COVID. They do not. And on top of that, you had this brilliant doctor, Scott Atlas, added by President Trump to the coronavirus task force who's been trying to say the same thing, who actually had put a tweet out. He, Scott Atlas, Stanford level, brilliant doctor, added to the coronavirus task force by Trump. He tries to tweet out, 
Masks work? No. Los Angeles, Miami, Hawaii, Alabama, France, Philippines, UK, Spain, Israel, WHO, widespread use not supported and many harms. This is Scott Atlas trying to tweet this. Then he says, um, despite decades, considerable uncertainty rate value, CDC reviewed it in May. No, I mean, he's got so many abbreviations, but anyway, he wrote a, he wrote a post trying to say, everybody who studies this, everyone who has facts is telling you masks don't help. And yet, that he puts this out as a member of the coronavirus task force. It's not like some goofball in the corner. This is an actually accomplished doctor who's on that task force. He puts it out and uh, that tweet was deleted by Twitter. You know, the medical experts who run Twitter, deleted by Twitter. Can't, can't have that up there, can't, can't do that. And so, um, so a spokesman, anyway, so that has been removed. Uh, his tweet has been removed. He also wrote on October 17th, um, this is again, Dr. Um, actually, I'm gonna go back. The post taken down said, this post is no, this tweet is no longer available because it violated the Twitter rules. Learn more. So Twitter, the non-medically educated, some 28-year-olds sitting there taking things down, is taking down the opinions of doctors who are actually educated and practicing and serve in the coronavirus task force. But you can see how the left has just gelled around Biden, gelled around the decision that they've got to use COVID to attack President Trump. They cannot have the American people understanding the truth about COVID, the truth about treatments at work, the truth about the masks that, that don't work, and the ongoing suppression of the American people and of freedom in this world with the idea of masks. And masks, by the way, the reason so many people object to them is that they definitely dehumanize us. You can't see people's faces. They dehumanize us. They humiliate us. They make us more into sheep. And when you have doctor after doctor telling America these aren't any good. In fact, if you listen to my show, I don't know what the date was, but we have Dr. Simone Gold on a couple weeks ago or something. And she made, as, as many other doctors are, making the same point that masks do not prevent the spread of COVID. As Simone Gold pointed out, a, a um, microbe of COVID-19 is smaller than one one thousandth the size of one single human hair. They're tiny. They, they penetrate anywhere. They penetrate these silly cloth masks. And she said, wearing a mask to prevent the spread of COVID is like building a chain link fence to prohibit mosquitoes. Pointless. But I'm, you know, I, I got to wrap up this segment because I want to hit one other segment. Uh, and and there, actually, there's so much data up on our website today. I really urge you to go there. There's data out of Europe making very clear that even though they're going to shutdowns again, the shutdowns didn't prevent the spread of COVID. The masks don't prevent the spread of COVID. The whole concept of somehow some uber brilliant, powerful politician can come up with a magic policy, make it all go away. This is for juvenile thinkers. This is for children. This is not dealing with reality in the adult world. You can have policies that protect the vulnerable and let the rest of the people go. Let the rest of the people live in freedom. Let the rest of the people open their businesses, open their schools, function normally, 
and we do not have to have these draconian shutdowns that so many places have been doing and are doing again. I got one more topic today. I know I'm about out of time. In fact, it's a really, really, really important topic. My last one for the day. And that has to do with this whole idea of Trump and the women's vote. You know, I'm going to, I'm writing something. It wasn't quite ready before I left home today. I'll finish writing it tonight. It'll be up on our website. But in many election cycles, the way leftists think, the way Democrats, the anti-American, socialist, Marxist, communist, American left thinks about America is America's comprised of a bunch of hyphenated people, the left's political messaging, their campaign thinking, everything is about stick people into these categories and tell them you live in this silo, African-American, you live in this silo, Asian-American, you live in this silo, and you women live in your own silo. And you could have more than one silo. You could be a woman and you could be an Asian woman or an African-American woman. But the point is the left messages and makes policies based on the silos they create. They make policy messaging based on the silos they create. The point of creating silos is then to build messaging to convey to each of the members of each of those groups that you are a victim, that everybody else in America isn't standing up for you, that life is unfair, America's unfair, your life isn't fair, and it's everybody else's fault, and everybody else around you can't be trusted to be fair, so you need the Democrat Party to come up with a new policy, a new regulation, a new tax, something to protect you. That's usually how the left messages, and it still is how they message now. But I was thinking today about what they've done this election cycle. Fortunately and brilliantly in this election cycle, we've had the organization Blexit come to be prominently known. Black and Latina exit from the Democrat Party. Founded by Candace Owens, just a brilliant uh, young woman, very young woman, very beautiful young black woman who actually kind of grew up thinking Democrats were, you know, she was fine with the Democrat Party. Uh, and, and I can't tell her life story again. She's been brilliant. She founded Blexit. And her basic message in Blexit is the, con- the idea that she is telling her fellow black Americans, name something the Democrat Party's ever done for you. What policy, besides telling you they care and telling you that everybody else hates you and telling you the Republicans pick on you, What have the Democrats ever done? Because none of the Democrat parties have ever helped the African-American community. And in fact, they've done just the opposite. You had the creation of the welfare state back in the, you know, this great society reset. We're going to fix everything for America. And all it did was destroy the black family, increase the number of young people growing up uh, in African-American families with no father around, which statistically tells you they're headed for a whole world of hurt. She points all this out. We've had another movement called um, Jexodus, which is young Jewish Americans exiting the Democrat Party. They haven't been quite as active, but they've been trying to get the message out. Why do Americans who are of Jewish heritage vote for the Democrat Party when the Democrat Party never stands up for Israel, never does anything to protect? You know, the Democrat Party never wants to be the one protecting Israel against the enemies by which it is surrounded in the Middle East. It took Republican Donald Trump to come along to help Israel, number one, by supporting and moving the embassy, but number two, by creating these peace, these, these peace deals between Israel, not that he, Trump, alone created them, but his impetus, his mission, his thinking said, forget about trying to make peace with the Palestinians. They don't want peace. 
move forward, Israel making peace deals with UAE, with Bahrain, and there are other ones impending now. This is a present actually solving things. And this is one of the messages of this uh, Jexodus group, which says there should be a Jewish section from the Democrat Party. Another group is Walk Away. Walk Away is a fabulous thing. In fact, if you're on Facebook and you just want to have a warm and fuzzy time on Facebook, go to the group Walk Away. It's a Facebook group. The stories you read there of people of every age, ethnicity, national origin, all of them find us saying, wow, I'm so grateful to find a place where I can tell you why I want to walk away from the Democrat Party, why I have walked away from the Democrat Party, how I finally started reading and thinking for myself instead of just being told because of your race, ethnicity, national origin, skin color, whatever it is, that you have to be a Democrat. That walkaway page is heartwarming. It's full of thinkers. It was founded, walkaway was kind of connected originally with Blexit, but now walkaway has its own identity, Brandon Straka, who is a young uh, gay guy who just said basically uh, the LGBT community in America is told over and over and over, you gotta vote Democrat. Democrats are the only ones who protect us. Republicans hate us. And he said, you know what, actually, the Democrat policies aren't doing one darn thing for me. He, Brandon Straka, got the walkaway movement going. They've been having events around the country. And the walkaway page on Facebook is not just LGBTQ Americans, it is all sorts of people. It's older Americans who never voted their whole life, but they're watching the Democrat Party destroy America's cities with riots and protests and arson and murder. And they're saying, where is the Democrat Party standing up for the people? They can't, they're nowhere to be found. They're nowhere to be found. And you, I mean, you story, they're heartwarming. But what I want to get to in wrapping up is about women and why and women in this election cycle. I was trying to think about what is it the Democrats are doing to manipulate the women's vote in this election cycle? And I, I finally realized what it is. The Democrat Party is in this election cycle 2020 working women up into a hysterical, unthinking tizzy about using the lies about COVID and using their attacks on Donald Trump's personality. What you have is the left complaining, Trump is so rude, he's so brash, he's so this, whatever the word they would use. They try to get women worked up about Trump's personality, manner of speaking. You know, he's a New York City guy. Yeah, he talks like one, he's brash, he's outspoken. And they try to turn their opposition to that kind of personality or their characterization of that personality into a reason that unthinking women should go ahead and vote for somebody else and ignore the reality that Trump's policies have raised all Americans up. Trump's policies, economic policies, better jobs for women, better on, on lower unemployment numbers for women, better numbers for every group women say they care about in terms of employment, stronger national defense, better trade deals, so we have fairer trade with the world. We have a president whose policies have lifted every American up. And since the left can't fight about his policies because they're right, because Trump's policies are right, the left tries to manipulate women by getting them all in a tizzy, all in a huff about his personality. He's so, you know, I don't like the way he talks. He shouldn't talk that way. I don't like his tweets. 
and they're being lured, women are being lured into the, uh, you know, being the tender, you know, powder puff kind of girl too easily put off by, I, 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 don't, I don't like President Trump because, you know, sometimes he says things in tweets I don't like. And, and I heard he said a bad thing years ago about women. And so that's it, I can't vote for him. That is what the left has to convince women this time not to vote for Trump. And the COVID thing, I will say also, the left has used effectively with women. There are, I mean, all the polling is showing, you know, there are more women afraid of COVID than men, more men figuring out facts as opposed to hysteria about COVID, men actually reading the data and realizing there are very effective therapies that are completely working on COVID patients, and yet we're being asked to be worked into a tizzy and, and men are more waking up, conservatives are more waking up, Christians are more, making, more are waking up more, people of faith are waking up more. People of faith, Christians, serious conservatives, actual thinkers are waking up and recognizing we've been played in terms of the exaggerated political policy response to COVID. We have been, America has been unnecessarily shut down. The left has used COVID in this election cycle to talk to women and, and treat them as though because they're women, they will easily fall for the argument that government's supposed to take care of you just like your daddy. And government's supposed to take care of you, ladies. So you should be mad because President Trump, you know, he should have done something different in whenever they say January, February, March, they're talking to women like they're easily emotionally manipulated can get worked into a frenzy over COVID, even though obviously COVID is serious. I don't wish it in anybody. I want us to have a complete, I want everyone to have access to treatment that they need. But the political response has been hysteria generated by the left, and it seems to be working with women. But back to the main point about what the left has done to women in this election cycle is made them feel like, I don't want to vote for Trump because he's not as nice as my husband. He's not, you know, he, he's, he's a little gruff. He's not the kind of guy. I want someone who has a really, really nice personality. And so you're being told, women, that you should vote against Trump, whose policies have lifted up every American, including your family, including your children. Oh, the whole other thing we didn't even talk about Trump has accomplished is because he is bringing more of American troops home, not getting America involved in some international entanglement, putting at risk and putting into harm's way precious young American members of the military. He is honoring their sacrifices. He is protecting them. Unlike the previous administrations, this is another thing for which women should be grateful. But women are being told, don't look at Trump's accomplishments. Don't recognize everything he's done for world peace. Don't recognize how he strengthened the economy. Don't recognize how he strengthened the border. Don't recognize how he's fixed the trade deals. Don't, don't pay attention to all those facts over there. Get worked into an emotional tizzy because I don't like his personality. That's the Democrats' message to women. And honestly, if women, if you fall for that, that's pretty darn embarrassing for women. We Americans have been blessed by this president in this last nearly four years. We all need to get behind voting him for him tomorrow. If you haven't voted yet, if you want the small fragment section or a fragment of Americans who have not voted, um, got to get it done tomorrow. But as I, I'll wrap up the way I started out this show today. I'll finish on the women thing. Women. Look at facts and not the emotional tizzy the left is trying to stir you up into. You're smarter than that. Do not get duped by that emotional hysteria. Look at the facts. 
and tomorrow. Everyone listening and everyone who sees this, anytime before the polls close tomorrow, if you haven't voted yet, get out there and vote for Donald Trump. And that, my very fine friends, is my show for today. What I do at the close of every show is tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So I, sent you, I have for those, uh, we have election 2020, facts and fiction, why it matters to you. 94 million votes already cast, already at two-thirds of the entire nationwide turnout in 2016. Texas early vote in 2020 already exceeds the entirety of our 2016 vote. Super high turnout logically favors the candidate with higher enthusiasm among supporters, and that is unquestionably Donald Trump, and by an enormous margin. Caveat, but it is, <clears throat> excuse me, but is early voting where tabulating software fraud is in place, and yes, my friends, that is a concern. If you didn't see the interview with Russ Ramsden on my show last week, listen to that. There's the concern the Democrats have figured out early voting uh, software, tabulation software fraud, um, and it's a risk in this election cycle again. I'm sorry to report. Um, Trump and Biden are not remotely comparable in energy or excitement. Trump holds 14 rallies in the final three days, every one of them filled with thousands, plus all the car rallies, boat parades, uh, you know, car parades. I mean, the nation is just bursting at the seams supporting this president. Biden makes a few public appearances, never large crowds, constant gaffes, Dems selling a story that 2020 is a referendum on Trump and haters dominate U.S. electorate. I don't think so. The 2020 election is a referendum on Trump, and the answer is going to be yes, please give us four more years. A free, fair, and honest election will be a Trump landslide. And then what would Kamala do? No one thinks Biden will last a full term. I don't even think he'll last a full day. Many think not even a year. Some believe he couldn't make it through inauguration if he won. So who is Kamala Harris? Cackling on 60 Minutes not answering their questions about hard leftist positions that she's publicly taken. A recent Harris speech extols the goal of socialism. We all end up in the same place. Harris supports reparations for black Americans, says they have PTSD from slavery, which ended over 150 years ago. Reality, Harris is a Marxist. She was picked by the radical left for that reason. A Harris presidency would be a mortal threat to American freedom. And on Trump and Biden healthcare and COVID plans, Trump has an extensive plan. It's just not a plan that involves government takeover of everything. Telemedicine advances in support of COVID and other treatments, greater access to direct primary care, health savings account, customized healthcare insurance, not one size fits all. A whole nother thing they got into, I didn't even get to tell you about that, customized healthcare insurance. Imagine that, like kind of goes at free markets. Anyway, personal and portable insurance under COVID, Biden, despite what he claims, cannot end the virus, and nothing he has proposed is any different than what Trump has already done. Europe is showing that lockdowns and masks don't work and do more harm than good. Trump is right to be optimistic about turning the corner, leveraging therapies, and protecting the vulnerable. And women and the happy Trump vote. Blexit and walk away have opened the way to break from false promises and politicians. Women need to be the next to leave the left in droves. Leftism plays on emotions, treating women as fragile and lightweight and easily pushed around. COVID is scary, and it's all Trump's fault. So vote for Biden. Trump does mean tweets, and that's not presidential. So vote for Biden. Reality, COVID is not as scary as the mainstream media claims. CDC data shows that 99 
plus percent recovery rates for virtually every category, except some very exceptions with extreme pre-existing conditions or very, very senior. COVID was nobody's fault except China's, and neither Joe Biden or anyone else can end a virus. The big picture of Trump's policy achievements for the good of the entire nation is enormously positive. Tweets are simply inconsequential. American women must resist being played by the left and understand the stakes. Toughen up and vote to save America. Vote Trump. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Tomorrow's election day. I have Dr. Everett Piper joining me in the studio. One thing we'll be talking about tomorrow is all the violence the left is threatening and planning. If their guy Biden doesn't win, I do not want to exaggerate that threat. I think the Trump victory could be so, so significant in numbers that they rethink the plans. But I do urge you to be cautious. A lot of talk about violence at the polls. So go early. If you haven't voted yet, go vote early um, before these uh, clowns are out of bed. And be sure to vote tomorrow if you haven't done it yet. Get out there and vote because we're counting on the election day turnout also to show the strong national support for President Trump. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where we always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you